Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film St. Elmo's Fire. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen the film, just be aware that we discuss details of the plot so it will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. My um, my tribute to the late Ennio Morricone, God rest his soul. That he is um, swirling in the heavens tonight. <laughs> that was beautiful. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Good man. I'm I'm a bit sad about Ennio, although he was what 91. Yes, yeah. His body of work is just super impressive. Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, some of the most iconic soundtracks of all time, really. The soundtrack to. Um, the live concert film by Metallica was, I think, his best work. The what now? Which is what I was playing just then. <laughs> that was... Uh, what, which movie was that? <laughs> it's The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. That's right, yeah. The Metallica used it as their intro tape. Oh, did they? Yeah. Did you not know that? No. Oh. I guess you, you're you not a, actually a big Metallica fan, are you? No, they have one good song, Frantic. Tick, 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 Saint Anger round my neck. Yeah. I'll never get respect. Is that the lyrics to Saint Anger? I think so. And they're playing in a prison. San Quentin prison. Oh, yes, that's right. They are in a prison, aren't they? Playing it. Yeah. I... I like the odd Metallica song, and I think the Black Album is very good. But in mm-hmm. general, they're not my favourite band. I was a, I was a huge fan for a time. They were my favourite band, and um, you know when I was getting really into metal, and I thought I was like, they, I thought they were the peak. And you know, I had all, all their early albums I liked a lot. But yeah, I went to see them. They're one of the first bands I ever went to see and stuff. And this was before they they stopped being able to sing and did that thing where they carry on touring but play all their songs tuned down like at least a whole step. And I just can't deal with it. See, I'd probably enjoy that more. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I, like I, I like my metal slower and darker and lower. Um, which I think is part of the reason why I never really got on with early Metallica, where they had that real thrash element, where it was all quite fast. And I don't like the drums. I know that sounds really... <laughs> you, you mean just in general, as an instrument? <laughs> I love the drums as an instrument. But you think, think music would be better if we just didn't have drums? No it drums. It all just like Baroque. The the only drums, the only drum should be Lars Ulrich's snare from the Saint yeah. Anger album. That's oh the only God. drum that should be allowed. Um, so yeah. basically, a bin. Someone banging on a bin. <laughs> Someone, yeah. <laughs> the only drums that should be allowed are the percussion section of um, of Slipknot. Yeah, That's the clown the with the flaming baseball bat hitting a bin. <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah, I I no, I find um the drums are too um not too energetic. Energetic's the wrong word, but they're you never get the right groove to a Metallica song. Apart from with the exception of the Black Album where I think they slowed things down a little bit. 
yeah um, where you had great songs like sad but true um whereas overall i found their stuff a little bit too fast paced for me whereas i i i like my metal like i like my Life. chili slow <laughs> cooked slow and low that is the tempo <laughs> exactly for exactly. robert gordo <laughs> for rob for rob gordo yeah um yeah so i i think that's why like i i grew up listening to things like um uh, black sabbath black sabbath was was always yeah. on or um or, or prog stuff like um king crimson where generally it's that little bit slower than what metal eventually became and so yeah it's a bit too fast for my liking but i do really like the black album that that gets put on it's very good no, I remember that. Well, the first, actually, the first gig I ever went to see, I'm sure I talked about this on the show before, was the Reading Festival 2003. I went just for the day. And funnily enough, we just did an episode of our other show about Linkin Park. They were on, but I didn't go on the day they were headlining. I went on the day Metallica were headlining. And I already knew that that, um, the, the Ecstasy of Gold, it's called that, that tune from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I already knew that was their intro tape. So as soon as that comes on, it's like, yeah, I've never, like, the feeling of being that pumped to see your favorite band aged like 15. It was just un- just unbelievable. There's nothing like it. So I'll always associate that with Ennio Morricone more than any of his movies. Even though obviously I love cinema and I love his music and I think he was an incredible guy. That's <laughs> peak <laughs> Morricone to me. It's, uh, it's Metallica, Metallica intro tape man. <laughs> um, did you ever hear Death, Ma- De- <clears throat> Death Magnetic? Yeah, I had a couple of okay songs. Is it any good? I never listened. It's to better that. than better than Saint Anger. I mean, what's what's not better than Saint Anger? Um. <laughs> St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> oh, we go in there. We go in there. No, um, we're not. We're not going that far. So, St. Elmo's Fire is a, a movie film from the eighties, and it is one of the most eighties movies ever. Yeah, I think it's fair to say it, it came out in nineteen eighty-five. Mul- so that's it, the mid- right in the middle of the eighties as well. Yeah, it, it involves multiple scenes with saxophone. Yeah. Which I appreciate. The longest saxophone solo in the history of cinema. (laughs) It's official. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I apologise if that was in the trivia you were going to ask later. (laughs) It it was not, but, you know, we've gone there. We've gone there. Um, And it is about a bunch of young people finding their place in the world, which is an... It's a topic that often these kind of 80s movies do. But what sets St. Elmo's Fire apart is two things. First, that it is set after university as opposed to at high school. And second is that its cast of characters are almost entirely unlikable. Yeah, they are the worst. (laughs) Um, So what I find interesting is that I see... Did you ever watch Girls, the Lena Uh Dunham show? Do you not think that there's some interesting parallels between Girls and St. Elmo's Fire in terms of people out of university, a sort of friendship group, the frictions between them, and then trying to find their place in the world in this well, city? St. Elmo's Fire would have been much better if our man Wizard Cop Adam Driver was in it. Yeah, Adam Driver playing Jules. Was he even, <laughs> was he even born in 1985? I have no idea. Possibly not. Probably not. Isn't he younger than us, fucking bastard? Let's let's find out. Adam Driver. I don't know. Nineteen eighty-three. Okay, so oh, he would have been two. He could have done is, it. Uh, here's a little bit of trivia for you. He is therefore my brother's age. Ah, all right. He, oh. Yeah, he could have been in it. I I believe in his acting talent. Age two. Yeah, he would have killed it. 
um yeah he would have he would have he would have done it amazing yeah so so i and and it's something that i hadn't watched saint, saint elmo's fire since i'd watched girls and Me it was, and it's surprising because when i watched girls i hadn't made the parallel but watching them now having watched girls to its conclusion um i think there is a little bit of a similarity there um particularly with the characters being unlikable as well where um there never seems to be this isn't going to turn into me hating on girls by the way because there's flaws in that show but there's also things i enjoyed about it um but but i think there was there was that that overall contentious issue with the fact that in girls you particularly didn't like the lead character played by lena dunham yeah um and here again there's those things where some of the characters uh are sympathetic at times and some of them are sympathetic the majority of the time but there's still this sense of these are very entitled people um and yes you do feel um you feel that sympathy for them and you feel um you feel as though you want them to make make it to this place in their lives where they feel comfortable and 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 they feel confident but at the same time you're like oh you guys are just awful aren't you? <laughs> you guys are just the worst but it's like you do it's not really clear what that place is is it or where they're trying to get to it's all it's all a little bit vague and i think the it's because it doesn't really spend enough on any of its characters doesn't it it's you're, you're supposed to believe they're this kind of this really great friendship group who are all so close or at least were close in college and now they're going through some shit but really it sort of jumps from character to character and gives you a bit of their story and a bit of this and sort of intertwines it in an annoying way. It's like, oh, suddenly we're back to this guy now, but I was thinking about that and I was rooting for that. And so it might be, I think that that sense of it is marred a lot by plot issues. Yeah, and and I think, I think part of the issue there is that with some of the characters... But when you when you have a movie with with a, a a large cast of characters and you need to differentiate them quickly and allow there to be this kind of stake in the ground to say what those people personify in the film, which is what you need to do, you need to find some clear indicators of that. And interestingly enough, one of the best examples of this is um is the movie Predator, the the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie Predator. <laughs> of course, listen to me on this. Uh, you you get an idea within five seconds of seeing each of the characters about what they're about so you've got um you've got guy with a big machine gun who (sighs) is full of bravado and says things like i ain't got time to bleed and he has a big cowboy hat (laughs) you know he's like the biggest tough guy of the group and you know that that's his thing and that he's extremely arrogant and you you understand that instantly you've got quiet guy who seems to be constantly shaving his face and you think okay this guy's weird and intense bingo you've got the guy who's wears glasses and is constantly cracking jokes he's the jokey one and so so predator is this perfect example of how you can set up those those character tropes very quickly without it being overbearing but it but the audience having that understanding of where all of those characters sit um another example of this is scooby-doo where you instantly know what all of them are about in one place (laughs) you've got dog you've got stoned man you've got smart one you've got neckerchief (laughs) you know um whereas and then sarah michelle keller 
and, and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, or alternatively, to bring it to another movie from the 80s, you've got The Breakfast Club, where you... Which you came ha- out the same year with half of the same people. <laughs> with, with, with exactly the same cast. Yeah, where, where there you do get that instant understanding of what all the characters are. And then over time, it shows their more subtle, sensitive side, but you wouldn't be able to get to that point if you didn't already understand who they all were within seconds of seeing them. And I think St. Elmer's Fire suffers a little bit by not having that same clear-cut definition between its characters, because you've got two quiet women... (laughs) And a bunch of loud men. You've got three intense men, and you've got saxophone, and you've got... And, and somewhere got, in the corner is Andy McDowell. And and you've got yeah, you've and then you've got vibrant female friend, and then somewhere is Andy McDowell, who is the most patient person in the history of the world when it comes to a weird, creepy stalker. Because you know what it is, right? Women love attention. Any any attention is flattering to women, and that's the truth. And it's not at all a lie perpetuated by bad cinema. <laughs> definitely not definitely not um yeah so um so yeah so any attention at all it's all good it's all good um but yeah i I think that's part of the problem with this movie is there there's not enough immediate definition between its characters and eventually you know you do make that sense but you don't understand how that friendship group works together and you don't really understand the different dynamics between them as quickly as you'd need to for this kind of ensemble cast to really work. And I think that's probably part of the reason why it feels a bit muddled and part of the reason why it you don't get attached to the characters quickly enough. Yeah. Um, I don't think it has enough characters or enough, as you say, distinction between them to make it feel like a true ensemble piece where it's a bit more vignette and all of the... vignette that's my favourite kind of pasta. And all of the... Um, <laughs> stories all seem to be intertwining in a good way or like you're you're intrigued by them but there are there are too many characters for it to feel like a coherent character piece right yeah yeah i'd say so um and there's a lot of people in this movie i really like you know yeah um demi moore emilio estevez andrew mccarthy ali sheedy but i think it could really have done without some of them being in there yeah. Um, Emilio Estevez's character, right? His storyline, it's hard to think which one is the worst. I mean, we're, we're jumping in and hating on this film when there are things to like about it, which we'll come on to. But I keep trying to decide which is the worst. And I think it might be Emilio Estevez. Because at first you're like, oh, okay, he's this nice guy. He's he's working his way through school or whatever. You know, he's, he's going to law school. He's working as a waiter. He's a, he's a down-to-earth guy. But then it quickly emerges that he's like a weird stalker guy who's got this obsession with a woman who says to him, you don't even know me. And then it just carries on from there. And he doesn't get to know her while still kind of following her. And then being like actually a bit sort of violent and aggressive about it. And you're just like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. His, his storyline serves no purpose. I think is the problem. No. Um, Other than to perpetuate, you know, really, really sexist myths that even at the time were, I think, considered to be dated. Yeah, and I I think that there are some problematic elements to that storyline, certainly. Um, 
I think less so in no, the terms problem of... is her sexy boyfriend in the ski lodge. Am I right? <laughs> well, I, I think the problem, the I, I don't think it necessarily shows that women like that kind of attention because it's clear that she doesn't. And even though they have that end scene where she's like, oh, there's the photograph of us kissing. She's clearly a bit bemused by it all. But I think it does. It tries to humanize weird predatory behavior in men in a yeah. way that it probably shouldn't. And it doesn't add anything to the plot. What does he learn about it? He doesn't learn anything. He doesn't grow as a person, whereas some of the other people in the movie do. Um, and so what is the point of that entire thing? There's no point to it. So his no. character, cut it out. Sorry, <laughs> Emilio, we love you, but get yeah. out. Doesn't He does say he's going back to school at one point, doesn't he? He's going yeah, back to law some, school. I mean, who gives a shit? Like, but the whole point was that he quit law school to chase this woman he doesn't even know yeah so, so he's <laughs> taken a step backwards and a step forwards he's back to square one yeah well he's done. he's he's learnt and gained absolutely nothing from the experience of this movie martin um, sheen is very disappointed in <laughs> he will not be becoming vice president anytime soon <laughs> um whereas at least rob Lowe, like rob Lowe's character starts off in the worst position in the movie drunk driving his girlfriend and having yeah. an accident um bad no, she's not even his girlfriend no no they're just yeah because he's got a wife and a kid somehow yes you could definitely they're... believe that the the saxophone playing drunk frat house king would be the one guy who's married with a kid out of university well you could imagine him having a kid and i think the understanding is maybe that it was all rushed so fair enough and and i think that's the problem with that element is you really want to understand the um the background to that um yeah. more than you do um because that story on its own that could be a really really interesting film if you got loads of the backstory about how it all happened and dealing with his you know his whole thing of being a young father and a young husband and all that stuff Versus just wanting to play his sax. You could actually do that in a very, very sympathetic way. And that would be a move that would allow you to keep the 80s soundtrack that carries this film. Yeah, yeah. And so so I think that would definitely work. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think at least his character has the progression that some of the other characters lack. When it's a movie that is supposed to be about progressing and is meant to be about developing and growing and becoming more adult he's really the only person in this movie that definitely reaches that point um which i think he gets on a bus and gets the hell out of there (laughs) well yeah but but he grows and he understands that he needs to have responsibility for himself and when he gets on the bus he's like still standing up in the little vestibule area to wave to them while the bus is pulling off (laughs) like sit down rob Lowe, for god's sake you'll fall over you're ruining it for everyone maybe it's a london bus and there's no space yeah <laughs> secretly secretly that bus is absolutely rammed with people going to new york yeah um the london to new york bus it was a big deal in 1985 it was they don't have it, it anymore it's like um it's like concord it's had to be discontinued and it's in a museum somewhere yeah they had to get rid of all the buses because they had really pointy noses and it caused some very bad car accidents yeah a lot of people um, got spiked yeah um but yeah so so billy's billy's storyline rob Lowe's storyline is is probably the most interesting of the lot um and although he starts in this position where you're like oh you're such a dick by the end you think you're a dick but you might not be a dick (laughs) you're Um, a dick with a big heart yeah exactly exactly and you want him to go off and have success playing saxophone in bars um yeah because even though he's 
said that he's okay with not being there for his daughter. Yeah, which again is a bit like, hmm, okay. Because <laughs> the whole time with him, and I know I always, I'm kind of made more sensitive to this as a relatively recent father, but like the whole time you're just thinking, where's your kid, motherfucker? As not a father, obviously I have zero empathy for children um, because that's how it works. Men don't have... You have a furry daughter. Men don't have any care for children unless they are fathers themselves. This is true. And women don't have any interest in in children until they become a mother. That is the one thing that other people's parenthood has taught me um, (laughs) over the years. (laughs) Um, But uh, but yeah, it, it is a bit weird, isn't it? How he's got this kid and it's almost like Ross's son, Ben, in Friends, who just disappears from the storyline over the se- as the seasons go on. Oh, God. And, and every so often you think, yeah, where the fuck's your son, Ross? Yeah, <laughs> Where's your dick. son? Um, and here you are thinking, Rob Lowe, where is your child? <laughs> what are you doing? Because as well, isn't Ross a paleontologist who goes on digs and shit? That's well, what kids love. Well, he doesn't go on digs. He he just does like lecturing and stuff like that. I don't think well, that's he's, boring. I don't think he's ever been out in the field, or at least not in the field for some time. I don't remember there being an episode where where um, where Richard Attenborough arrives in a helicopter and says, <laughs> "We need you to come and see our island, paleontologist." Um, yeah, that never happens. Um, but Thank yeah. God it was Sam Neill and not him. Can you yeah. imagine if it was David Schwimmer and Jurassic Park? They're <laughs> <laughs> trying to get out of the facility and it just keeps shouting, pivot, pivot. <laughs> um, yeah, so... so yeah, you, and the, the fat guy from Seinfeld gets killed and then suddenly goes, no, 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 no. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so, so Rob Jurassic Lowe, Friends. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. But yeah, Rob Lowe's character, you do kind of think, where are, where is your child? And then at the end when he's like, oh, he needs a, the, the kid needs a father who's there all the time. You're like, well, yeah, but also it. Yeah. So be that you fucking ass. But, but <laughs> you know, I but, but I, 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 you know, it's clear that someone else, but the, 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 the mother and somebody else were in love. So there was going to be someone who could fill that parental figure place. Right, yeah, but, yeah. but kids obviously, you know, a lot of the time they'll want to have a relationship with their biological parents as well. Um, you know, that, that's really up to the, the child's decision over time. And I think it's a very, very much shirking his responsibility to go, well, I'm going to go get drunk in New York and play saxophone now. I'm yep. being a good father. <laughs> um, it's a pretty, pretty weird flex from this movie. Um, and you know, maybe it's a sign of a different time. Um, but somehow he is not the least likable character in this movie. No, I'd say he's actually one of the more likable characters. Yeah. Cause partly cause it's Rob Lowe and you're like, okay, it's Rob Lowe and he's got big hair and he's got a nice smile and he dresses well and he plays the saxophone well and all of that stuff is reasonably compelling. Um, anyway, in the context of this film, it's quite compelling. He's yeah, he's got a saxophone and he's trying, bless him. And I think those <laughs> those two things put him above a lot of a lot of the rest of the characters. So I think how would you what would be that your ranking? The, that was the of, tagline for the film, wasn't it, when they first released it? He's got a saxophone and he's trying. Yeah, exactly. How would you rank these characters in terms of likability, from most oh, likable to least likable? Let's see. I think Emilio Estevez is probably the worst because he's like aggressively goes after a woman he doesn't even know. And is horrible to her. Um, Judd Nelson's is pretty bad. The guy who 
he's like in politics and switches from working for a Democrat to a Republican because it pays more money and like is sleeping around on the woman he thinks he wants to marry and all that stuff. His character is very perplexing and just very annoying. But, you know, at least it's not him being typecast as a tough guy who gets given cigarettes by his father in The Breakfast Club. So that's something, I guess, but he's pretty bad. Uh, Ali Sheedy's character is okay, I guess. Um, with her, I always feel like she ne- never did as well later in her career as some of these people, and she deserved to just as much. Um, so with her, I'm always like, I'm always rooting for her a little bit. So I guess I guess she's not so bad. Um, Demi Moore's character is kind of annoying, but not the worst, because obviously she's very entitled, and she's kind of the stupidest one who has all these debts and stuff that she's lying about. But I think you do feel vaguely sorry for her. She's got something that going on with her stepmother that, again, isn't explored enough for you to genuinely care about it, but it's like at least it's kind of there, you know. Um, who else is there? Oh, yeah, Andrew McCarthy, who... He's just kind of there, isn't he? <laughs> just there, just there. Yeah. But I was rooting for Wendy, actually. See, I was not. So my my ranking goes at the bottom of the pile. You've got um, you've got Judd Nelson's Alec, not necessarily because he swaps political parties, because unfortunately people in politics do that all the bloody time when they're just starting out. So they try yeah. and make their way up the ladder. Um, but he's a scumbag and he's a hypocrite. And he and just, has this massive apartment. And he looks... So much space. He just looks like a wrong'un, doesn't he? Sometimes, do you not get that sometimes? You look at no, someone... Oh, yeah. Think, he's got a mean a face. Yeah. Um, Have you seen that, a picture of him now? He's um, He's got sort of a big old scraggly beardy face at the moment yeah yeah he looks like he he should be playing the washboard on someone's doorstep in (laughs) alabama maybe that's what he is doing what i do know is that he voices hot rod in the transformers a lot oh really yeah he's been doing it for years and years and years um do you think him and shia labeouf hung out uh i hope not because judd nelson is much cooler than shia labeouf (laughs) i don't know what you mean (laughs) um but uh, but yeah he's what do it just fuck off Shia. <laughs> um, don't let your dreams be dreams i think the fact that people have let shia labeouf back into their lives after he was the most irritating person on the planet for a good three years in a row is one of the biggest travesties of the modern age um Emilio i think the joke's is, on us i think he's actually a genius he's a fucking pain in the ass whether he's a genius <laughs> or not Emilio estevez is the second most irritating character because he's vile in terms of the way that he he goes after Annie McDowell's character. Then I'd probably put Wendy because she's very wet milk, like the most... This is proto-wet milk. She's a milk toast. She is, yeah, she is literal milk on toast (laughs) and a milk toast. (laughs) But she's Um, trying to do good and she's like a social worker who wants to like do her own thing or whatever. There's something in that that I thought, again, was the kernel of possibly a very, very interesting film that was just kind of there. Nah, mate, it's just because she wants to try and break out from her parents' evil... Uh, her parents' evil massive card house. business. <laughs> they, make, they make cards for people. Um, That's the thing that cinema also lies to us about all the time, that there's money in greetings cards. There's no money in fucking <laughs> greetings cards. Well, there, there, there was originally. I think by the time that 500 Days of Summer came out, 
probably not. <laughs> but yeah. but in the eighties, you know, you can imagine all of these card card moguls going around snorting cocaine off their various greetings cards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, her character's so boring though. And like, don't you get the sense that it's just kind of a, a vague rebellion that she's going off to go and do something good, but then she doesn't really care that much when she's there when you see her in her scenes yeah i just felt sorry for her because i felt like everyone treated her really badly and kind of used her as a friend but then i was also like would she have actually been in with these people at university given how sort of like like frumpy she is and i thought probably actually no which is kind of mean of me but i Uh, didn't fully believe that she was part of that friendship group I, i don't know about that i think that there's some earnest people in this group but i think her character is just incredibly boring and so i had no interest in her going off and being herself which she doesn't do she does nothing over the entire course of the movie and she gets an apartment at the end and then has sex with Rob Lowe in it oh well done incredibly rich woman gets an apartment congratulations (laughs) incredibly rich woman in the 80s getting an apartment what a standout (laughs) achievement for you um she's painting it and everything she's even using paint well done it's a shit Um, apartment as well (laughs) Uh, after that, I'd probably put Billy because Billy is—he's—he's he's fun, but he is a jerk. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. A lot, most of them aren't fun, are they? That's the thing. No, that's no. why we think that Rob Lowe's character is maybe just about okay, or the one character that sort of makes it a bit watchable is that he's—he's he's a bit fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's playing a saxophone. Um, What's more fun than a saxophone? Nothing. <laughs> No, exactly. don't answer that. The answer is the automatone. automatone. <laughs> no, no. Um, welcome to the Saint Elmo's fire. At- welcome to the automatone cast. An hour of automatone. <laughs> if you make it relaxing, without- relaxing automatone sounds ASMR. If you make it to the end without killing yourself, we will send you a prize. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and then after that, I'd probably say, I, I, Andrew McCarthy's character is just, I'm a writer. I, I love someone I can't have. And then he eventually gets his first byline and it's called The Meaning of Life. Fuck off. It was a review of Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Oh, of course. That's, oh, what, of course it, that's, was, what, yeah. that's what it was. I choose My to bad. Sorry. That's that. I choose to believe that it's that. Um, and then yeah, so I put him and and Leslie together. I think Leslie Ali Sheedy's character is vaguely interesting. Um, and I think there's some nuance there which I appreciate about the character. And yeah, I think she's, she's an the architect. one. She's I think very she, clever. Yeah, and I think she's the one that's genuinely trying to do good in terms of you know trying to look after Jewel. So I'd say it's probably the most um sympathetic character in the movie because you understand the sort of trouble she's going through even though she's quite annoying um and has a big picture of billy idol on the wall of her apartment yeah and and sorry to bring it back to girls but i think there's some parallels between jessa in girls and jules in this yeah Um, yeah. i think there's some big parallels between the two um and i think again that's part of the reason why she's the most for me at least the most interesting character and maybe the the heart of the understanding of this movie being about these young people who are very privileged who end up in this situation where they they're trying to work out what adulthood is and failing she's the MacGuffin who opens all the windows of her apartment and tries to freeze to death yes yeah it would take a very long time together it would take a very long time to do that yeah um 
so I don't I don't know why they were panicking so much. Probably could have you know taken their time over it. Um, <laughs> and just you know kick the door in instead of trying to go around the fire escape where there's like iron bars. And then cut through the iron bars because that's what you do. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So so this movie. I don't know. I I remember liking it when I was younger, but I think maybe that was primarily because of um. Uh, because of the, the, the mythos of it, right? But because of the saxophone and because of the music and because it's one of those um, Brat Pack movies. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about what's good about it. It looks amazing. It looks like pure eighties, doesn't it? And there's a really nice sort of tint to the to the um, the color of it, isn't there? It's um, it's nice to look at production wise. I think they made a lot of good aesthetic choices with the outfits and stuff, and with it being in Washington D.C. It has a different feel to a lot of the films that are either set in kind of generic small town wherever high school prom or in New York or L.A., right? Um, how many other films of this ilk can you think of that are set in Washington, D.C.? Um, so I like that. And the music is great. The main theme is really, really good. Although when it's playing again at the party, you're like, really? They, they would be listening to something else at this point. But all of the, all of the music, even the score is really fantastic, but it at times it grates because you're like no amount of emotional eighties electric piano can cover up the fact that Emilio Estevez is a massive douche. <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 it I, th- I think that's the same thing about a lot of these movies from the eighties. Um, and I think it's part of the reason maybe why I enjoyed Heather's more than you do, because Heather's is this kind of send up of these kind of characters um and and shows them for what they really are where if you think about a lot of these a, a lot of these films you know pretty in pink um saint elmo's fire breakfast club um there are these these moments where the characters do things which are morally questionable at best um and it's kind of glossed over because you're used to watching these movies through the lens of these are our heroes who we're supposed to support um and and yeah, and I think this movie falls into the same problem where their some of their actions are very very dubious, and there's never much by way of you know a comeuppance for their poor actions. No, that's the thing as well. Actually, at least yeah, if you feel like there's some a character can be complicated if they get a bit of that comeuppance, where you've been thinking you're supposed to root for them. But then actually they do something bad and you're like, yeah, I don't really like that. But then they get a bit of a comeuppance. And again, if they learn something, then you feel like you're justified in rooting for them within the context of the film. But yeah, none of them really learn anything other than the fact that they need to go for brunch now instead of to a bar, which is just, just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's the only it's thing. like, hey, suddenly we're old. Let's go have brunch. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think maybe maybe there's different ways in which this could have ended. And I think... I think part of the problem is that developing this over the course of a relatively short um, movie is always going to be a hard task. And I think maybe nowadays, if they were going to set about this, they'd maybe do it as a television show instead. And mm-hmm. they set it over a season and they went in depth into each story. But like just off the top of my head, um, Billy's character, for instance, doesn't fuck off to New York or where, where where wherever he ends up is it New York is it LA Yeah yeah no, he's got the, he's on the bus to New York on the bus to New York and he um he does he doesn't do that he sticks around he's still a party guy he plays the saxophone but he makes payments to look after his daughter and sees her at weekends Sorted he's grown up he's got a job he's still fun 
but he's actually taking responsibility. Yeah, and then you you can explore his and Wendy's relationship as well. Yes, yeah. Wendy... Um, and make stops, her not boring to you. Yeah, stops being such wet milk. She... she becomes she dry milk. Becomes Nesquik powder, the opposite of wet milk. <laughs> T- tasty, tasty dry milk. That, when I was growing um, up, that was the thing that was in everybody else's house. You know there were those things? Every time you go around a friend's house, there's always Nesquik powder. We never had that in our house. And I'm sure that if, like, I asked my mum for it, she'd have bought it but like it was one of those things where i i thought that she would think it was beneath us <laughs> check you out of your desperate <laughs> need for we had this quick because we were filth of course disgusting. you did you, you fucking hogs <laughs> disgusting working class hogs <laughs> yeah we had nesquik i used to love nesquik god yeah yeah no so if i ever good. got it at a friend's house i was like this shit is good did you ever have strawberry nesquik hell yeah yeah it's the most lurid pink that I've never seen that pink anywhere else. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It's almost the same. It was almost like um, the same color as as bubble gum, wasn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Pink, pinkness, quick. But it's um, like slightly pallid version of bubble gum that somehow was yeah the most delicious. Yeah, they still and make I, it. Probably they um, must do. Yeah, I'd have thought so. It, it wasn't as good as chocolate because chocolate is always good. But I did like strawberry a lot. It was all yeah. good. All, None all of it's Nesquik. bad. All Nesquik is good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did we get onto this? I, I honestly have no idea. Um, okay. All oh, right. So Billy Billy looks after his kid. That's his thing. Billy the kid. Yeah, that's right. Looks after his and he kid. gives her Nesquik. Um, Matey boy Judd Nelson decides to go and work for a he realizes that he's an intelligent guy and he goes to go and work for a charity or a civil rights pressure group or something instead rather than trying to push his way up the career ladder into politics he decides to use his power for good but you could have a whole season of him and ali sheedy being on and off will they won't they blah 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 yeah yeah um i don't know what we do with wendy because her character does nothing but yeah, well, she has her relationship with Rob Lowe and maybe it's like, can you make the thing about breaking away from her parents interesting? I guess you'd have to add a whole bunch of layers about her background and her childhood. Yeah. And, and, and I think card business. And I think that could work. And, and maybe the whole thing is that she's drawn to these people which are actually bad for her, like Billy. Um, and she realizes that rather than sleeping with him, she she goes and sees someone who isn't Billy, but also who isn't boring greetings card man who i've forgotten the name of howie uh, yeah yeah um and uh and yeah so, so that can be her thing she becomes independent um i think i would like to see ali sheedy and andrew mccarthy's characters actually end up together as well which i feel yeah i feel is a bit anticlimactic because you have that scene where they sleep together and it's like the the one moment where you see a happy relationship in the film um, and then he's he's all like, "Oh, I love you. Let's do this." And he's not coming across as like too obsessive. It's still a bit like out of like yeah, I don't know. Suddenly he's all like, "I love you," but you feel like it is justified, and you believe it. And she's sort of brushing him off. And that again, I think, is a bit kind of a bit of a cinema myth thing, isn't it? That like if if you've just broken up with someone, you definitely need space rather than actually going with something that feels right. Because that's a guaranteed easy way for, to create um, a plot blocker, isn't it? 
in a yeah. romantic comedy. Yeah, I think that's true. And then equally, I do like the fact that there was that kind of hesitation because she wasn't sure if she felt the same way about him, where she yeah. turned to someone else while she was drunk and wanted fun and seemed like a good idea and then she wasn't so sure after that but i think it would be nice and to maybe see she that. didn't want to go out with someone who's smoking in every fucking scene <laughs> this was the 80s people are smoking constantly <laughs> kids movies it's c- cigarettes if it's an adult film it's cigars um, right okay yeah. that's that's how it works um so this yeah, is a kids movie so yeah exactly so so in our in our saint elmo's fire remake for hbo that everybody hates and everyone shits on because everyone <laughs> everyone says this is a great movie all of these critics at buzzfeed they 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 say this is a great movie of the 80s having never watched saint elmo's fire and they just you know they're, they're just saying this is great you shouldn't remake it blah 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 blah. but we're doing yeah, it anyway because yeah. we 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 live for the hatred we we feed off the hatred of people on the internet critically um, panned <laughs> yeah exactly um it's gonna yeah, get so, a one star review from peter bradshaw even though he hasn't seen it so so like a few episodes before the end they end up getting together and they sleep together but then at the end of it maybe like in the final episode they get together and it's working and it's nice um and everyone accepts yeah. it jules sorts out her. they have a nice problems. walk by the very nice river yes Ju- uh, jules sorts out her drug problems and gets a job bingo yep. or maybe she fucks off with to maybe she's the one who fucks off to new york to go and play saxophone yeah she can't even play but she's like i'm gonna learn <laughs> i'm gonna learn how hard can it be yeah um and and emilio estevez's character dies in a fire in the first episode <laughs> the first episode is his funeral <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the saint elmo's fire yeah how how they all react to his death this is the thing we were taught in our creative writing course right is it sort of you find out about who your characters are when you place them in extraneous situations and see how they react right how they all react to and deal with his death um would actually be a really good opener i think yeah it's and also um, he'd be dead it's it's saint <laughs> and we could get martin sheen to be in it it's saint kirby's fire yeah that's what it is um it will never not be nintendo's kirby (laughs) i mean nintendo's kirby is also a sex pest yeah he's He's, awful he he um he's always going on he loves to to suck king ddd and is like hey let me see your hammer king ddd fucking (laughs) vile vile bastard is our kirby (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's disgusting He's uh, he's absolutely horrible. Look at Meta Knight. You do not want to know what's in Kirby's dreamland. <laughs> Meta Knight can't even show his face anymore. He's that scarred by the constant harassment from Kirby. And he's a hard guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, personality section under Kirby on Wikipedia is just vile piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. Revolting yeah. round bastard. <laughs> Yeah. so yeah his character's called kirby and then we have a woman called dale <laughs> what is this 80s nonsense yeah this chip and dale chip and dale are both male it rhymes you know it's like adam and eve not adam and steve that's one of those <laughs> things that they say <laughs> it's adam, and, adam and eve not stadam and steve yeah stadam my friend stadam yeah um stadam hussein <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, Andy McDowell's character feels like I don't know. I really like Andy McDowell. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, I think and, she can act a lot better than most of the roles that she has taken in her career. Yeah, and I feel it's it's she she's a big fan of this movie, or at least credits it, credits it for sort of launching her career almost um or, or moving her up to another stage in her career but it, it's weird because her character is maybe the least realistic person in this movie because she is so relaxed and supportive to this very awful human yeah um and i i just find it really strange really strange uh, i i think those scenes in particular don't work and uh, maybe they worked better under a under a a lens at the time back in the 80s but it, uh, in the modern day it really is quite jarring and it doesn't really add anything no they are they are the most jarring scenes for sure every time it comes on it's like oh not this fucking shit again <laughs> i don't care go drive your bike into the river emilio estevez <laughs> Exactly. And it's such a shame because I like him. Yeah, I really love Emilio Estevez. I think he's great. Um, but uh, yeah, it is it is an issue. Um, but but yeah, let's go back to talking about things we like about this movie. So we talked about all of the issues with it, but there's still something likable about it. Um, and you're right about this. There's an of- amazing cut where um, they're talking about um, how Rob Lowe's got a job with the... Um, the Korean businessman, and then it cuts to him in the jacuzzi. He was like heavy metal playing. That made me laugh out loud. Yes, that was very good, very good. And I, I, I think from a, a couple of very, very good cuts. I, I think from a from a directorial perspective, um, it's very smart. And and like you said, the color, the use of color is really good. Um, and I think that's one of Joel Schumacher's real strengths. And and you know, unfortunately, recently recently passed away. Um, and for me at least joel schumacher's legacy is kind of in the modern eye a lot of people think of him as as like the batman guy for the for the cheesy batman movies but yeah. when you Not look that at there's anything wrong with that no but i i think you know they they are the two weakest batman movies the two that he did um apart from maybe batman versus superman um which apparently is a bit of a mess i couldn't make it isn't that a piece through. of shit well, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it all the way through. I got bored. Is um, that the one with Sad Batman in it? Yes, that's right. Sad Batman. Right. Yeah. Sad I haven't Man. seen that, but I've seen Sad Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that Batman Forever is a good movie. I will stand by Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Tommy Lee. I James have not seen that in about twenty odd years, but I will also back you up on that. Yeah, I really, I really love that movie. There's something really fun about, and and it's so comic booky. It's very silly, which I I really like. Um, but when you think about when you think about his his great movie moments, you know, he's got movies like Flatliners, which is a film I really love. Have you seen Flatliners? No, I know what it is. It's Kevin Bacon in it, and they like it's like they have near death experiences to find other dimensions or some shit. Yeah, they want to see what's on the other side when you die. So they keep killing their med students and they kill themselves to see what's on the other side. It's very, it's very silly, but it's really pretty and colourful and vibrant. And again, it's got perfect casting, which I think is something that, that Joel Schumacher was always very good at. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, Didn't you they think do about, a terrible remake of it. They did. It was bad. It was very, very bad. I watched it. I regretted it. Um, 
But then, but then you've got the Lost Boys as well, you know, the, the iconic vampire movie, one of the two great vampire movies of the eighties, um, with uh, with Near Dark, and then you've got Falling Down, you know, wonderful movie Falling Down. Then later on, I you've haven't got, seen that. Oh, it's so good, man with office job gets pissed off and can't take anymore and starts shooting things. It's he's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. He's he's furious and he's got a tie. And he's not gonna he's not gonna take it anymore. Um but then yeah, and then you look at sort of his his later his later movies, you've got Phone Booth, which is underrated, an underrated little thriller oh, about, yeah. about a guy in a phone booth. You've got um Nicolas Cage looking trying to investigate a snuff film in eight millimeter, which is which is trashy good fun and again incredibly stylish. And like I think people forget about how stylish he is as a director and and yeah how yes he's got some moments which people can laugh at now but there's an earnestness to a dedication to style and an earnestness about his dedication to having color and vibrancy and energy in his movies which i think was sorely lacking a few years ago i think maybe things have got a little bit better now um but you know it's he had a unique voice and and all the way through to the end mm. to the last things that he directed you know um like have you seen blood creek no it's it's super dumb it's got henry cavill in it and michael fassbender um and it's about uh nazi experiments like nazi satan experiments it's a really stupid <laughs> horror movie but again it Why lo- not? it looks fun and it's got that vibrancy and you know joel schumacher i think doesn't get enough credit for for having having a voice and taking risks and i like him for that even when there's missteps yeah, and I think that is apparent in Saint Elmo's Fire relatively early on in his, you know, his lengthy career. Um, I would go as far as to say this film is not well written, but is well directed, and he co-wrote it with Carl Kurlander, who I didn't know of until was, um, we were just looking at this film. But I think he's perhaps a better director than he is a writer, or at least he became a better writer as his career went along. But even in this, it is well directed. The scenes do flow nicely. It's just the characterization is way off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think if you look at his at his um, best sort of movies, you know, the ones that really stand out, he, he didn't have the, the writing credit a lot of the time. So Flatliners, he didn't write. Falling Down, right. he didn't write. Um, and again, The Lost Boys, he didn't write either. So I think, you know, his 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 best moments weren't where he was writing, but it's where he was able to share his his vision through the camera. Yeah. Now, Carl Kurlander, let's see what else he's written. Oh, Saved by the Bell, the new class. All right, say no more. <laughs> I mean, what more can you can you say about that? Yeah. He doesn't seem to have a, uh, a great CV, or at least not <laughs> a bunch of stuff that um, we know of. So, fair played. Well, let, let's pretend that all the problems with St. Elmo's Fire are his fault. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Um, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at his uh, his writing CV now. Um, so he wrote, yeah, he wrote "Saved by the Bell," the new class. What a, <laughs> what a show! What a show! Um, <laughs> is it um, yeah, basically and, what I want to know is is it his fault that Rob Lowe 
doesn't have a case for his saxophone. And he's walking around with it on his back. It was the, the entire 80. film. It was the 80s, man. Everybody knows that saxophone cases weren't invented until 1997. Yeah. You don't need to have, like, extra reeds or a cleaning thing or any of that other stuff. You know, those are for suckers. It was all a big conspiracy by Big, by big Reed. Big to make people buy things they don't need it actually makes the the um the microphone it makes the saxophone sound worse <laughs> if you if you if you yeah. use replacement reeds and things like that you've just got to stick with one stinking mouthpiece for the entirety of it um and that's how you get those epic 80s saxophone sounds yeah never clean the keys that's how you get that violent squeak that everyone loves yeah exactly exactly um so yeah, that's 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 what you've got to do. That's what you've got to do. But any musical instrument being carried without a case—that is a crime. What is your favourite case for a musical instrument? <laughs> it's a guitar case that's shaped like a coffin, obviously. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, speaking of coffins, isn't there a coffin in Andrew McCarthy's room? And he's got all this stuff, and she's like, "She's like, why do you have this?" And he's like. It's to impress girls, but there aren't any girls around here. Do you think it, you might be a girl? <laughs> Basically, yeah, I, that's that's how that whole scene went. I wonder why women would not be attracted to a man that keeps a coffin in his apartment, in his grimy, yeah. vile apartment. Just when you think he's of kind of maybe woman. okay, then there's a coffin and he is a bit creepy, isn't he? He is, he is. And, and Just I a th- little bit. And I think what's interesting about his character, and maybe that's what his arc is, is that a lot of what he says and what he does is very performative in terms of trying to attract women and trying to become come across as this cynical writer type. You know, that's what that's his whole deal. He's like, "Oh, love is pointless." I'm. He keeps saying, "Love sucks," yeah, which love... just made me think of the wedding singer. <laughs> love stinks. <laughs> It made me think of um, the pageant episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where Dee sings a song about how mums suck. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah. Which is one of my favourite episodes of Always Sunny. Um, (laughs) Shout out to Jabronis Only, by the way. I think. Have have we given it a proper shout out? We did last time, yes. My dad's podcast about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and they do an episode at random. And the last one was a double because it was a double episode. So that's very, very good. But yeah, it's great. It is. It amazing. pays tribute to the show and really breaks down the episodes in a nice way and has sort of nice categories for things and whatever and assesses them in a nice way. But it's still very, very lighthearted and fun. Yeah, Check it so, out. Yeah, go listen to it. It's really good. Really, really good. Did you know that Emilio Estevez is going to be in a Mighty Ducks TV series, which is in production what? at the moment? I'm going to watch the heck out of that. He plays the Mighty Duck. Yeah, he's massive. It's, it's now a superhero. You know, it's, it's basically someone took that meme, you know, would you rather fight 10 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Someone didn't really have a pitch and they were going into a big pitch meeting to pitch a TV show. And they were just like, okay, right. Would you rather fight 10 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? And this, like, the fat cat TV exec smoking a, gizar- a cigar is like, oh, it's brilliant, Johnny. We'll have it. We'll take it. And then pays him $500,000 to do a show called The Mighty Ducks. And then they they realize that they tie it into this franchise and that Emilio Estevez plays a horse-sized duck who plays hockey. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's um, yeah, so, so he's going to be playing Gordon again 
in the TV series. So I wonder if it's going to be a new youth coach with a bunch of kids and then he's like the old coach of the coach. Yeah, yeah he's going to be the wise guru figure. Or whether he's just going to be playing himself again. It's now, <laughs> it's now been like 50 years since he was a kid. He's playing, playing himself, but it's hockey. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and did, all did, hockey players and all Canadians are called Gordon, Gordy, Gordy, Gordon. That was Gordy the film Gordon. we made, right? <laughs> Gordy Gordon is the only. Um, <laughs> do, do, do you remember? I don't know if this was just a fever dream, but do you remember a, a cartoon of the Mighty Ducks where they were like crime fighting ice hockey ducks and they were real ducks? I think this may have been an episode of DuckTales. No, no, I've looked it up. Mighty <laughs> Ducks, the animated series. I this never is, saw it. This is a thing that exists. And they are crime-fighting ducks. It was like a... It was It was kind of a knockoff of um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Where you know crime-fighting how... ducks with dangerous pucks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and um, you, you know how everything copied the turtles in like yep. the early 90s comic books and movies all of um, apparently the series has been available on disney plus since its launch so ah, all right you might need to have a look and see if mighty ducks the animated series is available in this country or whether it's only on the u.s version like frozen 2 the, the, which the, is now on disney plus uk as of last friday shall we watch that at some point well i watched it already. no christmas christmas um are we going to do a double episode of Frozen and Frozen 2? Yeah, I have thoughts, which I need to share. Um, I thought you so, hadn't seen them. I was going to wait until you'd seen them. Well, my my other half decided to get Disney Plus the other day because she wanted to watch oh, The okay. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, as I was going to say, because she wanted to watch Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we are meaning to watch Hamilton at some point. Um, yes, but, come on. We watched it on Friday. I hear it's about Lewis Hamilton and how he's a dude. Yeah. <laughs> he he likes to drive cars. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's everyone loves it because it has cars on stage and it's really impressive. <laughs> it's it's the next step from Starlight Express. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's everything that Starlight Express wishes that it could have been. <laughs> Rails get rid. Well, it's, got, it's got cars, cars, cars and rapping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to Lewis Hamilton who can drive cars real quick, and I love him for it. Um, and also taking on racism in one of the most white-dominated sports in the world. Shout out, Lewis. Yeah, we love you. God. Um, so, anyway, right, m- back to the more serious subject of the Mighty Ducks animated series. Um, <laughs> no, the- we're not getting back to this week's film. Please no. give me a Mighty Ducks update. <laughs> I would like to just tell you the names of the Mighty Ducks. So we had Nosedive. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Nosedive. Tanya. Grin. Wildwing, Mallory, and Duke. Those are the Mighty Ducks, apparently. All very mighty names. <laughs> Can I just point out that you had Wildwing Flashblade and Nosedive Flashblade. They are brothers. <laughs> Duke okay. Lorange, aka Duck Alarange, Oh, I see, obviously. I see. I see what they did there. Mallory McMallard. That that's the one they came up with last, but they didn't put it last in the list to make it look like they didn't come up with it last. That was like it was five fifty five. They were due to finish at six. They were due to knock off at six and go get burgers. They're like, damn guys, we just need one more mighty duck. Come on, 
what ducky, kinds of ducky, duck are there? Ducky McDuckface. No, that's too that's yeah. too obvious. No, no, that <laughs> will remind everyone of Ducky from that film, that eighties film. <laughs> Saint Elmo's Fire. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, Ducky. Uh, Tanya Vanderflock. Um, and Grin Hardwing. I think we need to do a special episode on the Mighty Ducks animated series. <laughs> How long is it? How many episodes are there? Uh, there are 26 episodes. It's going to be episodes. a good use of my time. 26 <laughs> episodes. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we should do a whole other show about it. <laughs> I think so. And then um, we can move on to DuckTales. Uh, the... <laughs> Man, I'm so yeah. We should do this. I really want to watch. I really want and to watch. Do I might Mighty Ducks a... films. Okay, no, we do this when we run out of new metal bands on our other show. <laughs> we we watch terrible Disney cartoons. Yeah, um, I'm I'm down for this. <laughs> um, there is an episode which is apparently a spoof of Dungeons and Dragons called "Wait for It Dungeons and, and Ducks. Dungeons and Ducks." <laughs> <laughs> you never, you don't know which one, to, which way around they're going to do it, do you? There's ducks also and dragons, dungeons and ducks. There's also a time travel episode called Beak to the Future. Oh God! Uh, is every episode like that? Like it's a pun on something? Jurassic Puck. Um, that that I like because of the hockey content. There is a there is a parody of Pulp Fiction called Puck Fiction. Probably better than the original film. Um. Instead of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, it's Mad Quacks Beyond Hockey Dome. That is just... See, amazing. the first half of that was good, and then it really went downhill. <laughs> yeah. Can um, we do an episode where we watch Pulp Fiction and then watch the episode that's a parody of it and decide which is better, even though I've already <laughs> read it in my mind? We could definitely do that. We could... <laughs> if we just find find terrible because every every kids tv show did awful parody episodes <coughs> we just we just find the worst parody episodes and then we watch them side by side with the movie they're based on that's actually a good concept I yeah like i could i could do this um anyway right enough enough mighty ducks animated series talk have you got anything else you'd like to share about saint elmo's fire because we're running um late. let's see it was critically panned at the time, which is, I think, is an interesting thing to note because you. I feel like it really embodies the, the mythos of 80s cinema and all of the nostalgia that is that we have for 80s cinema and the Brat Pack and all of that stuff. It's seen as this kind of, like, not quite a golden age, but a thing that people look back on very, very fondly when actually this film wasn't even well received at the time. Yes, and, and that interested me because I think a lot of the criticisms from critics at the time are actually like correct whereas often you look at these kind of criticisms you know like um the shining getting razzie nominations and things like that and you think hmm that's a bit weird they really misjudged that but here it seems although maybe school wise they were a bit harsh with it um they did get kind of the flaws of the movie from a character and plot perspective pretty much bang on yeah so i think that i think that's interesting and yes, it's just yeah. obviously how it how it embodies that nostalgia, um, but doesn't hold up that well. But yeah, it's, uh, similar to you, I remember I I think I had some kind of Brat Pack box set at one point, and this was in there. And I always thought it was kind of a bit of an outlier, but I generally thought it was fine. But now watching it, you know, however many years later, I I was appalled and disgusted. 
<laughs> you're like, get the fuck out of my house, St. Elmo's Fire. Um, get out of here, Rob Lowe. <laughs> um, he Just come, was, come back when you're your character in Parks and Recreation, and then we'll talk. Come back when he's... Um, no, no, no. Um, the West Wing. The West Wing. He's oh, okay, handsome yeah. idealist Rob Lowe. I can't even remember yeah. his character name. He's just Rob yeah, Him Lowe. and Martin Sheen can come around my house anytime. Yes, exactly. But Emilio Estevez is barred. Barred for life. <laughs> he has to apologise to Andy McDowell for his character's actions yep. in this movie. And until we see that in person, then he's not allowed out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this film looks great. The music's great. It's well directed. It's definitely worth a look, but the characters are not great. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's a that's a problem, isn't it? Um, yeah. So if you're looking for a bit of 80s nostalgia, you could do worse, but be aware that you may not be satisfied with much of the action between the characters. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably a fair assessment, isn't it? That um And that you'll want it, to push Emilio Estevez in the river. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a really pretty movie to look at, but think of it more as a precursor to American Psycho in terms of where these characters end up rather than yep. um yeah it's 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 interesting though i think it's I, I still think it's probably worth watching just for the you know the 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 style of it all is very good yeah judd nelson does have a bit of a patrick bateman look doesn't he in this film yes yeah definitely definitely um anyway right a little bit a little bit of trivia for you before we finish um, so Rob Lowe was nominated for a Razzie for his performance in this movie, which I think is quite yeah. harsh. He's got a yeah. he's got a saxophone. His performance is one of the better ones. I have issues with the Razzies overall. I think they are yeah, mean spirited, yeah. and I don't like that's it. that's exactly it, isn't it? It yeah, comes exactly. from a place of genuine meanness and cynicism. Um, yes, yeah. Rather than a place where you know they appreciate what makes a good shit piece yeah when we have the official big boy shit piece awards the shit shit piece awards (laughs) yeah (laughs) the golden shits um (laughs) the golden shits exactly it's just the poo emoji but in gold yeah um and then everyone will colloquially refer to them as the shitsies (laughs) <laughs> the shitsies, exactly. Um, so, uh, okay, Emilio Estevez originally wanted to play Billy in this movie, but did not, obviously. Because he um, can't play the sax. And did you know that Demi, Demi Moore's character is the only one not to have her surname revealed? Uh-huh. All right. So she is just Jules all the way through. Um, Robert Downey Jr. was also considered for the role of Billy uh-huh. as well. So could, lots of people... That. Lots of people wanted to be sweaty playing the saxophone. Don't we all? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? You know. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so that's a little bit of a little bit of trivia for you. Um, so yeah, uh, how are we going to rate this? Uh, let's see. How many minutes does your saxophone solo go on for in the bar? Because it went on for a really long time. Before you then jump off the stage to beat up the guy who's come to the bar with your wife. (laughs) Yeah, so it's going to be a good old 12 minutes of saxophone playing for me. It's a pretty movie, I think. But I think story-wise, it's... Story-wise and character-wise, it has its issues. But it's it's pretty. And I like that it's pretty. And I like that it feels so 80s. 
and I like that it's got a really too long saxophone section in the middle of it. Yeah, that bit I like. No problems with that scene. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah, so I'll go. I'll go just one lower and give it an eleven because yeah, the the things that were bad about it did really irritate me, but it is it definitely is worth a look. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we've got a All special right. one up next. What are we doing next? So Your there's place, a isn't it? Th- yeah, and there's a movie that has been doing the rounds um, for not very good reasons. It must be said. I'm listening. Um, it is a Polish erotic romantic drama, which oh, has been no, causing a I've lot of con- it has been causing a lot of controversy on Netflix. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to be watching three hundred and sixty-five days, uh, which yeah, right. I've read about this uh, has been causing problems so much so that there is now a petition to get it removed from netflix so we've got to get okay, in there well, we better watch it then we've, we've got to get in there quick to watch this bad boy um before it disappears right. that's exciting hell yeah i'm very excited about this good times good times all right well thanks a lot for listening and we really really appreciate it and um hope you enjoyed revisiting saint elmo's fire if you did watch it if not it's worth a look worth your time for sure and you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Cry. Uh, sorry, Big Boys Don't Pod. And the email is Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail.com. You can also support us by giving us money using the link in our um, show notes. Thank you to those of you who have given us money so far. We have had a little bit already, so that's nice. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, everybody. It all goes towards the shitsies. Um, yeah, going to yeah. make them the best Big- awards produce these these golden poop emojis don't produce themselves <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so thank you really really appreciate it and we hope you're all still doing well and staying healthy and safe and we'll be back next week to talk about 365 days oh yes indeedy bye-bye all right bye I can see you.